This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Go hey! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I think it's time to honor a great A. And no one was shocked by the news. But it's tough when somebody really, really has been a terrific player for you. And Jed Lowry being DFA'd is tough. But Jed, a terrific A. 205 doubles. Jed Lowry was a doubles extra base hitting machine for the Oakland Athletics. He was an all-star. Showed up in 2013. Hit 290, 15 home runs, 75 RBIs with a 791 OPS as a shortstop. Next year, didn't have as great a year, would end up moving on to Houston in 2015. But then came back with a vengeance. Well, actually, don't forget in that 2013 year, he had 45 doubles. But then he'd come back in 2016 and playing 87 games. Eh, okay, what, where is he in his career? And then the next two years, hell on wheels. The next two years, Jed Lowry would be awesome. In 17 and 18, he had an 808 OPS and an 801. He'd set the doubles record in a season with 49 in 2017. 2018, he followed that up with 37. In 2018, he drove in 99 runs. 23 home runs, 37 doubles, and was an all-star. Jed was nothing but a great pro. Jed was nothing but a mentor to guys in the clubhouse. Jed Lowry is a very smart baseball player. He's a very smart man off the field. He understood that there's something special about this place for him. Northern California means so much to to him and his wife. It's where he went to school, Stanford, starred at Stanford, met his wife at Stanford, and the best years of his career, the years he could stay healthy and showcase his skills. We're here in the Bay Area for the Oakland Athletics. Jed loves the A's. And I think I, I, I can say this. He grew to love the A's. I think when you first show up here and the, the clubhouse sucks, stadium sucks, and you're used to playing in all these different places, yeah, 
mean, stadium was built in 66. Let's be honest. This isn't Fenway Park. This isn't Wrigley Field. And, oh, by the way, there's been plenty of players who hated playing at Fenway and hated playing at Wrigley Field. But Jed grew to love this place because this place made him better. Made him the player that he is. Seven years with the A's. 77 home runs, 405 RBIs, 205 doubles, an OPS of 737 for a middle infielder, and more importantly, a great guy. Jed Lowry is not going to go in the A's Hall of Fame, but for his time, I mean, he played on the 2012 playoff team, 2013, excuse me, played on the 2013, 2014, 2018. I mean, he played in some big games for the A's. I, I wanted to say 2021, but it just fell short. I never checked his playoff stats for... Yeah, so he got he played in games in 2013-2014. I mean, Chad Lowry was a terrific A. And it's it's just Father Time always wins. No one beats Father Time. And it obviously had to be a tough conversation. You heard Mark Kotze on the Mark Kotze show here on A's Cast Live talk about um everybody was involved. You know, Billy David Forrest, Dave Feinstein, they were all they were all part of it, part of it. Because Jed's been a great A. It's meant a lot to this franchise. And not gonna be shocked, right? If Jed somehow sticks around after his playing days in baseball and with the A's. I sure would welcome that. Always appreciated our time with him. Always loved having him on. He has a lot to offer. He has a lot to offer. He's a cerebral guy. And I could, I mean, you know, he's, once again, these guys have now made so much money, they don't need the money. It's whether they want to stay in the game. I mean, Chad Lowry's made six, almost $61 million in this game. $61 million. He doesn't need to work. He still wants to play. But it's now, you know, once he retires, what do you want to do? He loves to travel. Kids are still pretty young. We'll see. I hope he's around. I'd love to see him at spring training. You know, certain guys you're going to look at as you just loved him as A's. Coco comes to mind. Coco loved being an A. Coco kept re-signing. Coco wanted to be here. Guys who want to be here, we end up loving. Not the Josh Willinghams who go, yeah, I want to be here, and he can't wait to get the hell out of here. We love the guys that wanted to be here. And Jed Lowry's one of those guys. Coco Crisp is one of those guys. And you're going to be able to vote for Coco, by the way, next year. I don't think it's his time to go in as an A's Hall of Famer. I still think we've got guys from the 70s and the 80s we need to uh, we need to address 
I a guy that's got to go in. Uh oh, we just had breaking news. Did I see this correctly? Breaking news. Oh my God. Get the breaking news sounder. This is massive, massive news. Live from the ABC Sports Desk in New York, I'm Chris Townsend. This might be the biggest breaking news we've ever had. Padres star Fernando Tatis Jr. Are you ready? You want to guess? Playing tomorrow for the Padres. I don't know. Violated Major League Baseball's performance-enhancing drug policy and is facing suspension. Oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) That's 80 games. That's 80 games. Right? Your first one? Yeah, 80 games. Oh, Padres are going to get Fernando Tatis Jr. back. Padres this, Padres that, blah, 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 blah. Fernando Tatis Jr. popped for PEDs. There's been so many questions surrounding his rehab. Some people thought he was ready to go. Other people, physicians were like, I wouldn't do it. Maybe he thought to get back, I got to take some stuff. I got to do it. And Jeff Passan of ESPN reporting is going to be suspended. That means he is out for the rest of the season. He is out for the postseason. And he is out well into next year. Close to uh, C-L-O-S-T-E-B-O-L is what he was suspended for. What? That's, that's the drug. Close to ball. I don't know. C-L-O-S-T-E-B-O-L. I don't know why you're looking at me. I'm not on Yeah, it. I don't know. I mean, my wife's in the medical field, but, she, I mean, she's on here, so we well, can't. Well, maybe at my age I should be on it. <laughs> I don't know. Man, that's massive. Well, help me hit the golf ball. <laughs> so, so, you're, so you're telling me. And we're almost out oh, of time. Oh, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you. Jeff Pass is telling you. Oh, no, you no. What I'm he's saying. He's been popped, and he out. So, you know what? And, and, and I know everybody looks at me and goes, well, aren't you from San Diego? I could care less about the Padres. Uh, see you later. This whole Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, this whole thing is blowing up in their face. And I just wonder, as I said, on this show, I said you can't you can't coexist with three major contact contracts like that. You cannot coexist. Machado three hundred million, Fernando Tatis three forty five ish. Three forty. Three forty, and now Juan Soto close to five hundred million. No way. And I said, who's the one guy that's got to go? Manny. I said Tatis. I don't think you get rid of Manny. Manny's a baller. And he's probably. I think Manny Machado will be a Hall of Famer. I'm not a big Manny fan ever since Josh Donaldson should have decked him there at Camden Yards. Remember that? When he started popping off to J.D. J.D. should have just smoked him. But nor, neither here nor there. I think in the end, Manny Machado Manny Machado will probably sniff 3,000 hits. He's going to have 400 home runs, right? Let me pull it up real quick. Manny Machado is a tr- Manny Machado is like a mini A-Rod. He's got A-Rod-type talent. 
And A-Rod should be a Hall of Famer. Don't, t- don't tell me what happens in the last episode of The Captain. I haven't watched it yet. I, I'm only on episode three, I think. So. Manny has 271 career homers, and he has 1,500, um, almost 1,550 hits. He's 1,540. What's his RBIs? Uh, 816. Yeah, remember he was a shortstop. These are incredible numbers. Eight eight uh, eight thirty career OPS and a one twenty four OPS plus. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't take these type numbers an eight thirty career OPS from a guy who was playing middle infield and now third base. Manny Machado, Manny Machado will be a baseball Hall of Famer. Agreed. Yeah, I think so. Uh, real quick. Now, I'm not saying he ends his career with the Padres. He I, they may ship that contract out. Let's see. Nando played 130 games last year. Um, is it going to play this year? And he's going to miss games next year. So how many games are left right now? Uh, what, under 60. So he'll be back like maybe May of next year. Hey, at least his wrist will be healed. Oh, wow. So there's that. Uh, maybe send Bob a text. See how he's doing. Oh, my brother? <laughs> no, no. Bob, Bob Melvin. Oh, no. Uh, my brother will be in panic mode, I can tell you that. They were, hey, by the way, as the Yankees were sizing up their World Series rings in June, Padres were just sizing up their World Series rings. You know, over the years, we've talked a lot about walk-up songs for hitters. But you never really think too much about the songs bullpen guys when they get done and they come out. You know, I think the one, you know, two that, you know, it was Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman, you know, the two guys that are number one and two in all time in saves. It was uh, Inner Sandman with, with uh, Mariano Rivera, who, by the way, he's just so low-key – it wasn't to me that wasn't great because when he came out, he just he just kind of came out. Hoffman's was pretty crazy. Who's this? Mariano yeah. Rivera, number forty-two. But he didn't come running out. He wasn't like he just moseyed on out, threw the cutter, eight pitches, let's go. You got Hoffman's. The hell's bells was. Yeah, this was good. He'd come out slow, and it just built. So that was solid, right? Well, we had, do you got? Did you get Balfour's? Uh, yes. Give me one second. Balfour rage. I mean, there, there's, there's been some, right? And all of our right field crew were going nuts. Left field was going nuts. This is good. But uh, I maybe the most famous one from any block of life. Oh, well, yeah, this is the best. When Mitch Williams or no, Rick no, no. Vaughn came in. Rick Vaughn from the California Penal League. Wild thing. The, the best is the owner in the middle. I had to believe it, but it's in here. Uh-huh. Cleveland, baby. And that would be the Indians. <laughs> 
and then Randy Quaid in in, in um, Major League Two, where he's like, "Wild thing, you make my butt sting." When he's when he's Ricky Vaughn is yeah. now lost it. Oh yeah, that was the best. But wild thing, I think I loathe you. We've got a new one, and this has gone viral. This is in New York. This is City Field. And I think this may be the best of all time because there's no lyrics. There's no lyrics. We're just going to play it. If you haven't heard this with the New York Mets. This is great. The trumpet. It's the matador. The matador's coming to kill the bull. Death is here. Can you imagine a packed house and this trumpet's rocking? Can you imagine here, this sound system? You, you know, oh, oh, wait. So that's, I believe it's called Narcos. That's Edwin Diaz's. Uh, song, Mr. Mrs. Narco, Matt. Narcos from, from, from Netflix, Pablo uh, Escobar. That's that's actually a very good theme song. Great show. Um, Great show. Mi- Mr. and Mrs. Met were playing the trumpet yesterday at City Field. But that's all, that, that's the, all into it, everyone. The is. trumpet is so powerful as an instrument, and you're blaring it loud, and you're coming out. You're just thinking of the bull ring. You're thinking of the matadors coming to take care of business, and it's over. That might be... The best and postseason wise, Mets in the postseason, New York, it's Queens, it's going off, and Diaz is coming out blowing people away in the postseason. That could just be incredible. The same way we saw with Mariano Rivera and we saw with Trevor Hoffman. This may be the new one, and it may be the best. I can't even. I'd love. I'd love to be in the stadium in the energy when that trumpet starts going. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, that could be incredible. You mentioned Narcos. Are you thinking of this? Like this? Yeah. Yeah, but there's something else playing with it. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's that's not your. You're ruining Narcos. Great, great show. Uh, let me just. Yeah, I remember the 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 last one because because I, I I read the book Killing Pablo. And, God, who was the author? I had him on one of my shows back in the day we were doing mornings. Yes, there you go. And when, the very end, when they got Pablo and he's up in that apartment and they can see him, and I remember watching Narcos going, this is the first season. I'm like, no, 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 this can't be it. This is when they kill him. This is bad news. That means we, we got to keep, we're season two, season three. I've heard there's going to be multiple seasons, but when they see him up in the apartment, Los Pepes, <laughs> it's over. They, and, and the reality is, was they don't want to admit that it was American intelligence. And maybe the reality is American special forces who probably actually made that long, long range shot that took out actual Pablo Escobar. We would not admit to that. Rumors, rumors. What? I'm done. Yeah. You can't have a show that Scott Emerson one of the top pitching coaches in the game, one of the top broadcasters, World Series champion, and all-star, the great Mark Gubazaw, 
who I can't believe they called him Cabana Boy. That's pretty good. That is really it. Did you ever see the Flamingo Kid? N- no. It's a great movie. You got to watch. It sounds like an 80s movie for sure. It's a total 80s movie. You got to watch. You got to watch that show and then listen to that interview again. And it's not like Gubazaw's a small guy. You know, if you're a teammate popping off to him, it's not like he's a, like. No, he's a he's a large human. He's a big dude. He's well, Mark Gubazaw, uh, for God's sake. You're talking, calling him Cabana Boy? We're talking large as in tall, not large as in large human. Uh, Gubazaw was legit. And then the GM, David Forrest. By the way, can you tell that uh, I can start, you know what, I can start to tell the season starting to change. Have you noticed that? Normally, June, July, when we do A's Cast Live, the sun is on us the whole time. It's now August. That's and all. Hey, have you noticed the shadows are starting to come in more? No more G Kype getting on me about the umbrella on the TV broadcast. Soon we're going to be like, by the time we hit, we're going to have to do the show from the grass. By the time <laughs> September hits, we won't be in the sun anymore. Season's starting to change here in the Bay Area. Summer's not as long. For God's sakes, the kids are already back in school. Yeah, my dad doesn't. My dad works at a school in PA. He doesn't go back until the end of the month. <laughs> we used to go back after Labor Day. Yeah. My kids are got my kids are about to go back in school. My wife's class, uh, first grade, they're about they're there. She's going to have her kids on Wednesday. That's insane. What happened with summer vacation? There's some schools I heard in California that kids go to school year-round. Oh, year-round, it's garbage. It may be good for school, but for us kids, we want to be out hanging out for summertime. Yeah, what, what, what kind of life do you have? Anyway, what, we don't need to get on. We don't have a life during summertime anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, true. That's why I'm going on a three-week vacation next month. Well, whenever the Angels come to town, we got to have the World Series champion and the all-star Mark Gubazaw join us here. Of course, does TV for the Angels, and congratulations to new grandpa twins. Yeah, Chris, first time grandpa twins. I, you know, I don't mess around as usual. I'm always a pitcher of two for the price of one. You know, ground ball, double play, I go with twins right away. By the way, I see Stephen Vogt over there. I can see myself going, I believe in Stephen Vogt. I believe in Stephen Vogt. I love it. I t- yeah. So what is it like now being a grandpa? You know what? It, it's so much fun. Uh, it's just, now they're getting to the point now they're, a little, they're almost two months old. And when you walk in there, they kind of recognize somebody. You know, yeah. they've seen a, a familiar <laughs> face. My, my wife was down there with them today, as a matter of fact. And they had the biggest smile, and they were moving around. So they recognize her being around there all the time. So it's, it's so cool. It's so cool to see them. They're growing, and, you know, each day. And you almost forget when you're there every day. It's a little different when it's your own child. But as a grandparent going in there, you see them every two, three days. I'm like, wow, they're growing quickly. Yeah, it's it's uh, congratulations. It's an amazing feeling, and um, for you, it's going to be a very uh, let's say busy off season. You're going to do a lot of babysitting. Yeah, well, I can't wait for doing that. I, you know, I can't wait for you know all the holidays. I'll be going crazy. I'm already trying to figure out a way to be able to sneak in and buy my you know a couple of Halloween outfits for him. But I'm sure I'm not going to get the final say in that one. Then. Going to Disneyland for Christmas time and stuff. I can't wait for all that stuff. Yeah, us in baseball, our time is the fall, is the winter. That's when we can yep. do a lot of stuff. People don't realize, you know, it's, it's always like, hey, we're going to Tahoe. You want to? No, I can't go. <laughs> hey, we're doing a golf trip. To- yeah, I can't go. Yeah, no. And I believe me, I've heard that now since 1981 or so. Like, we never have any summers. I'm like, that's okay. We have five or six months off, period. Not many people could say they have that. So, you know, you enjoy the winter, enjoy the fall, but, uh, I love baseball, so it's fun during the summer. You know, one thing that it, it's tough, like you look at the A's, we knew we were going to be bad, right? So this, you know, all the numbers that I have are not, all this stuff's not a shocker. I remember we were talking to you 
I mean, we're like, hey, Otani, Trout in the playoffs. This could be – I mean, that's what this team was trending to at one point and to where the Angels now are talking about could be one of the worst records, if not the worst record in, in Angels history. Just what has that been like from when we were talking about how good things were to where we are now? Yeah, I mean, when leaving town here last time, the Angels were 24-13. and 13. The talk of baseball, really, because you have Shoei yeah. Otani, Metzen Trout, Anthony Rendon, who's back completely healthy, the pitching staff, you know, Noah Syndergaard and Michael Lorenzen were doing a great job, and Patrick Sandoval. I mean, this this and everything was going well. You had Reed Demers had thrown a no hitter early in the season, and then boom. And, and I've been asked why. Part of it is is you know obviously having Anthony Rendon down with his wrist injury and, and Mike Trout being out, but still you, you didn't anticipate this. Uh, you know, the the starting pitching overall has been pretty solid. You know, and. This the bottom of the lineup has struggled because guys are playing in different you know different roles and I think that's the reason why not enough offense they were the, at the beginning part of the season you look at their numbers top and on base percentage slugging percentage you know OPS scoring runs home runs running the bases effectively and then all of a sudden it just it just stopped I mean as much as you always think you always have a chance to win with pitching and it's been they've been in games because of that, a lot of them but uh, you need to score some runs especially when you play in the American League. Yeah, and you think about Joe Madden when he was getting the job and coming back, and it was kind of like linking to the Mike Sosha era when the team was so successful for so long. And Joe going to Tampa, then to Chicago, winning the World Series, you know, going to come back, kind of be the savior. And we always like the quotes and talking to him. He's such a good guy. Uh, are you just shocked the way it all turned out with Joe Man? I mean, it was it was his dream job. He's been in the organization with over 30 years. Always wanted that opportunity to be the manager. And for him, when he first came aboard, it was obviously 2020 was a difficult season for everybody. And then 2021, still not quite, you know, the fans being there to, to build that kind of energy. He, he brings that. I mean, he's a perfect guy to get everything out of you as far as a player but a lot of that revolves around the fans being involved in there too so it was a tough process for him he was around the players more the team was off to that great start you're thinking okay this team has a, a chance and, and when you get to the postseason it's you know you look at the Atlanta Braves last year nobody picked them to win the World Series you know you have other teams with winning records and, and incredible records but they you know once the postseason starts you just never know and then now I think about this offseason now the trial balloons have been thrown out about Otani. I, I think it's crazy. Just I think from a business standpoint, the amount of money he brings in from Japan and the sponsorship, I think it's insane to even think about trading him. But now that the trial balloons have been thrown out there before the deadline, do you think it's going to be a wild offseason for the Angels? Well, I mean, definitely not involved in Shohei Otani. That's for sure. He's going to be a big part of this team going next year. And I think that you're going to see them doing some things, maybe even more so than we've seen in the past, where they're going to try to do whatever it takes to get this team at a competitive team and win in, uh, you know, into the postseason. You know, the last two drafts, been really good. They you know, two years ago, all all pitchers, and, and a number of those pitchers we already saw one. You guys saw them up here already with Silseth. There's a, there's some great arms there, and then this draft it has had. There's some upside on a lot of players. So I think the foundation, especially in the lower levels of the minor leagues, is finally where it was when you mentioned the you know the Joe Madden and Mike Sosha's time, and that means you know to be competitive, you're going to have to maybe you know you got to go free agent route, and that's what I think they're going to do more so than any other trades and things like that. You know, when I heard about Trout's back, I mean, I mean, Trout's killed us, obviously. And, and we know what a special player he is. He's, 
you know, trending to be an all-time great. If it, if it ended right now, he's a Hall of Famer, but an all-time great. You played with an all-time great in George Brett, and one of the reasons why George was an all-time great is because he lasted a long time. Even in those the last years of playing first base or DH, he had the big knee brace on. When he got number 3,000, was at the Big A where he yep. grew up in Orange County, but he always still played. Are you worried about this back? Are you worried about the, the issue potentially long-term for Trout? Well, first going back to George, he won batting titles in three different yeah, decades, which is, yeah. is, which is incredible when you think about that. And nobody had ever done that before. And then you look at Mike Trout, where he was trending. And remember when he first came up, we were talking about Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Willie Mays, Ricky Henderson, all those comparisons. And then, you know, it just kept that, that course going forward. You know, last year was out for that long period of time. What, May 17th, the rest of the season when his calf injury this thing now with a back slash rib cage area, uh, I you know just talking to him when all that came out, he, he was like he was shocked at all you know everyone's just worried that his career was going to be on the decline. He's he's almost getting close to playing again real soon. So I'm not overly concerned with that. Just keeping him on the field. This this so we can go back and then we can have these conversations down the road, Chris, and say, wow, we got to watch one of the all-time great players. Yes, he's on that you know path right now already for the Hall of Fame, but. I like when you get to the point where you, when you talk about longevity and go, wow, this, this player was one of the most incredible we've ever seen. Yeah, you never want to be robbed of greatness because this is our time covering it, and he's, he's done more against us than basically anybody else, so we have seen it firsthand. And knowing that, you know, got to see Barry Bonds turn into Super Barry in San Francisco, a lot of people have thoughts about that, but we saw it, and he did it. I mean, to watch people do stuff that's once-in-a-lifetime. He's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime player. I don't want to be robbed of seeing that. He's too good. Yeah, I mean, and he still – I mean, he was running very well. Too. I mean, even though he only had one stolen base, one stolen base attempt, he was playing his best center field. When you look at defensive metrics, he's had, you know, in the last five years. So, everything was trending in the right direction. Yeah, he had that one of those couple odd stretches where he was like 0 for 26 this season, which was really odd for him. But uh, you, you rebound and had a series up in, in Seattle where he hit five home runs, four game-winning home runs, which nobody had ever done in the history of the game. By the way, how many times we say that during the course of the season? The first time in the history of the game, first time in the history of the game. So many things have happened. But you, you, you just feel that Trout is going to be in that. Anytime somebody says he can't, he can't do anything, whether somebody said he couldn't hit a high fastball and then all of a sudden he's crushing out of the ballpark, or his defense and center fielder is going down and he turns around and does these things. So I think he's going to be more motivated coming back, which will be real soon, to put up those numbers and hopefully trend that way for the next six, seven years. Speaking of numbers in our division, I just every single time Verlander takes the mound, it's just like, wow. I mean, 39 years old, he's back to hitting 99, 97. He's having one of the best years, average velocity going back to his heyday in Detroit, whether pitching against you guys or us, or you get to see it, the highlights, when you hear and you see the numbers at 39 years old, what do you think? There, there's two pitchers that I stop and watch and hope that they stay healthy and continue doing it would be Verlander and Clayton Kershaw, the two guys that I just love. They're Warriors. But Verlander is, you know, I, I'm marveled at him because he's got a lot of mileage on his arm. I mean, he's got a lot of strikeouts, a lot of innings, MVP, Cy Youngs, very, very competitive. And to see him, you know, be shut down for almost two years and then do what he's doing this season. I went up to him the other day. We were in Houston. And last time in, I just went over and, you know, because I know Ben Verlander. We were always joking yeah. around about Shohei Otani. So I went up there and said, uh, 
know, Justin, I just want to say um, you're my favorite pitcher. You need to start laughing. He goes, oh, you were a pretty good pitcher. No, 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 no. <laughs> so you're the man. You're the man. I just wanted to shake your head. I, didn't, I wasn't looking for anything back from what you would say about me. I was like, wow, I just love watching you. You, were, you, see you, how you strong were pretty good, by the way. No, but You, you know, were pretty was, good. Uh, he was he's incredible what he's doing. I mean, I think because of what he's doing, I still think they're the favorite in the game to win it all because of him. I mean, their team is really deep, the Astros, and they made some pretty decent moves at the deadline. The Yankees have been great, and the Dodgers have been incredible. And the Mets now with the ground throwing 102 miles an hour himself. But Verlander, I think, is a huge difference maker. And when you get in those series, whether it's a three-game beginning or a five-game series, and you get work your way to seven games and in World Series, he's a huge difference maker. How about this? If the Yankees lose again, and they lose tonight. Seattle, right? They're up in Seattle. Yeah, they're in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. They lose again tonight. They'll be tied with the Astros for the best record in the American League. They were blowing it out. They yeah. were on pace to win 118 games. They've come back, and as you said, the Astros. You, you, you try to explain to people the Astros can beat you any which way. Those international signings have been so key for them. They've done well in the draft. I don't want to hear about the tank anymore. They're not built on the tank anymore. Mm -hmm. Just talk about when you look at the Astros, just a complete team, and they're the type of fighter that can beat you in any type of fight. I mean, Kyle Tucker is one of the best players in the game, and nobody really talks a lot about it. He's a fantastic outfitter, great arm, runs well, good power, hits for an average. They're doing a lot of this without Michael Brantley. He's not even in yeah. there. I mean, Altuve's doing, still doing his thing. I mean, there's so many good pieces for them. Pena, I mean, they got so many good players on the team. Christian Vasquez, I thought, was a great pickup by them. You know, Martin Maldonado, yes, he's a great defender, but there's some outs in his bat. You know, Christian can hit the ball pretty well, so they got some depth now in their, in their catching position. Goriel's a doubles machine. Everybody they put out there, and I haven't even got to Alvarez yet, who's one of the great hitters. I always joke around when I see him, I go, with his number 44, I think of the size and the power, and, the, and, and you can see the intimidation factor. If you're an infielder, it's almost like Willie McCovey. Like stretch. Yeah. So he, I mean, it was any ball you hit as an infielder or even an outfielder, you're going, oh, please don't go my way. Because <laughs> I'm not catching this and thing. And they're it's, all yeah. young. Yep. Yep. And you think you lose Carlos Correa, you lose George, George Springer, you think, okay, everyone in our division here thinks, okay, their window's closing. But it continues to open up. And Dusty Baker deserves a lot of credit because he weathered all that storm and all the stuff coming out with all the, you know, the scandal and everything else. So they're they're a good team. And, you know, as much as we all thought we would be knocking on the door with them, and, and the Angels were early in the season yeah. when they won two or three down in Houston and were in first place, but they have that sustainability because they have depth throughout their entire system. All right, we were talking about you the other day. So when I'm not doing this, I'll be hosting the A's pre and post on NBC Sports California, and I was doing it with Dave Stewart, yes, the great Stu. Dave Stewart, the A's Hall of Famer. And I was telling Stu, because we were talking about a certain pitcher, who doesn't go deep in games, but has had some post-game press conferences where he's kind of like the man, but he doesn't go deep in games. Obviously, it annoys Stu. So I said, <laughs> I won't want everyone to annoy Stu, by the way. So <laughs> I said, hey, listen, Gooby's told me that back in the day with the Kansas City Royals, if you went out there and threw like five innings and you were strutting around, George Brett, Hal McCrate, those guys would have roasted you for not going deep in games. Definitely. And then you could throw Lee May in there. And Lee May was a gigantic human being, too. They would, you know, I told you that story. They called me Cabana Boy from back in that <laughs> Flamingo kid when I looked like Matt Dillon. He goes, hey, Cabana Boy, get over here. If you're not going seven or eight innings, don't even walk in here. Just go run and hide in your locker. You better be out there because we were playing every day. You go out there every five days. You owe it to us. 
and the team and the fans and organizations to be out there at least seven, eight innings, at the very least of that, that amount every time out. That, and we and Stu and I were talking about it, and it's talking about, you know, whether you look at the A's teams and really that era, that was especially the Royals, the battles against the Yankees in the 70s that led into the 80s. That was a really old-school, hard-knocks, throwing fists kind of tough team. They were not afraid. I mean, George Bredin in ALCS was throwing fist at Greg Nettles at third base. And they're best friends, too, by the way. And they were best <laughs> friends, yeah. I know I can't say the, the language he said to us when, you know, Saber Hagen, myself, Danny Jackson all made the team in 1984. He basically I don't care if we lose every game as long as we beat the Yankees all the way through. I, I can't bleep that many times, but there was a, a number of bleeps in there. Every game. Because there was the hatred – for the Royals and the Yankees at that point. And then, you know, then we started having battles with the A's, in, you know, in, in the late 80s and stuff. And that was fun. And you mentioned Stu. I love going up against him because I knew I had to throw nine. I've had a 10-inning game here one time. I lost on a fly ball to right field. I think uh, Danny Tartable lost it in the sun later in the day here in a day game. That sun goes right in your eye. I knew I had to go nine innings just, most times just to get a no decision when Stu was on the bump. So uh, he was a great competitor. I love that to watch that because you try to emulate that as a player yourself, as a pitcher especially. Well, I just love those stories because it just shows you the toughness. And that's one of the reasons why you guys won so much. It just wasn't the talent. It was that mentality, that toughness. I'm watching uh, the Derek Jeter that we're seeing and Don Mattingly talking about 1995 where he knew it was last year, and he was like preaching to these guys, we have to win every day. Yep. There is no – losing's not an option. We have to win, and they did. There's just something about that mentality that sometimes teams lose. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you always hear the adage, you're going to win 60, you're going to lose 60. It's what you do in those other 42 games. And I'm like, I'm not satisfied thinking I have to, we have to lose 60 games. I, I, every day we came to the ballpark, we expected to win. Did we win every day? No. But you never went in there thinking, okay, you know what, well, just to try to win a series, two games, you know, two games and one. No. You're winning all three or a four-game series. You want to win every inning and every game, every time you go out there because, you know, that's what you – where I grew up in Philly, that's what we always did, playing stickball and stuff. I tried to win everything. And, and when I hear George Brett and Hal McRae, some of the fiercest competitors I've ever been around, and don't get me going when you, know, <laughs> when you bring Bo in that equation oh, too. Oh, so, Bo Jackson. So you get these guys that every one of them literally want to win and, and want to beat you bad every game, every game, every game. So if you didn't see Flamingo Kid – Go watch it. It's a classic movie. And, and, and we'll just sit on this, and we always appreciate your time. The fact that they called you Cabana yeah. Boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was like forever, too. And you're from Philly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right next to New Jersey. Yeah, so, I mean, it was so funny. It was so great how they got that. But, it, like, he made his point, and they didn't laugh. They weren't laughing either. They said, if you're not going seven or eight innings, go right to your locker and look right into your locker and don't look back at us. I'm like, okay. I said, then I'm thinking, you know what? I'd rather take on Dick Hauser than you guys. So if he ever comes out to the mound, I'm going to make sure I'm going to voice my displeasure for that. Well, it's always an honor to have you on this program. Over the years, you've been so good to us, and we always tune in. Your guys' broadcast is second to none. We're always watching. So thank you for the it's time. Always, and I always appreciate it. You know, even though both these teams are struggling, it's always fun when these two teams get together. It's always a close game. It's always two or one run 
you know, victories one way or the other way. It's always a battle. There's a, there's only one way to go. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. It's only one that way is to so go. True. At this point. That's like going to Vegas. Okay, I'm going to play the red or, or, or the black on the roulette. One of them is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good call tonight. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it, my friend. Well, now joining us for you, A's fan, he's an all time A's fan favorite, and it's great to see you, Kurt Suzuki. <laughs> Man, it has been a long time. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, I was telling the story story early in the show. By the way, look how we improved. Right? We're now doing a television show. We've changed this a lot. This is big league right now. Changed a lot yes. since you were here. I was telling the story. I was, like, looking it up because you were with the Minnesota Twins at the time. It was, like, 15 or 16. We did the interview for pregame over in the dugout. And then after we were talking, catching up, how the kid's doing, how's everything going. And at that point... You were talking about retirement. What are you going to do? And ah, kids are still pretty young, but I'm not sure if I want to coach or whatever. And here we are, 2022. God bless you. You're still playing. Oh, man. Yes, it is. Uh, it's definitely been a blessing. Um, that one that I'm able to do this, you know, uh, every year or uh, up until this year. And then two, that my family allows me to do this. You know, it's, uh, it's a big sacrifice, not just for myself, but for my family. You know, my kids are in school. Um, full-time every day now and you know my daughter Malia was born here and she's she just turned 11 my middle one Kai is nine wow and then my youngest is six they were babies so, back in the day um Eli wasn't even born he was born in Minnesota so uh it was yeah it's it's and then my wife was pregnant with Kai uh my second when in 13 when I got traded back here she was pregnant with Kai so it was uh it's it's been crazy yeah, I think about my twins who are now 16. I remember putting that when they were little girls and they were wearing the Kurt Suzuki jersey, the long sleeve jersey to bed. <laughs> and I tweeted it out. The fans loved it. Yeah, they're now 16. A lot has changed, but a lot of great has changed for you. I think about winning the World Series, uh, just, you know, your career. But it all started here, and it meant so much to start here. I know this organization will always mean so much to you. Um, you just nailed it right there. I mean, um, you know, every time I come to this place, uh, you know, obviously as a, as a visiting team, everybody hated coming here. But, you know, when I come back here as a visitor, it, I love it. You know, it brings back memories. Um, this, this will always be, you know, I call it my home. You know, this is where I first started from. Everybody, I look at the coaching staff, and, you know, Emo was my first pitching coach. Bushy was my first hitting coach. Uh, I played with Tommy Everidge in the minor leagues coming up and in the big leagues a little bit. Uh, I played with Cots, um, you know, my first year when I got called up, and he took care of me, took me under his wing. And, um, you know, you see all these guys, Mikey and Voos and Cliffy and Maddie, and, I mean, everybody that works in the clubhouse are still security guards. Everybody's here. It's, it's, uh, it's a pretty uh, cool experience to be able to come back and, and just the support and the love that they show you coming back. I mean, uh, I had had the greatest years here. You know, it was awesome. You would have loved Sunday because we put uh, Keith Lipman and Steve Vucinich into the A's Hall of Fame. Yes, that I saw it actually. We had it on uh, on the TV out there, up there in the locker room last yesterday. We were looking at uh, watching the highlights and stuff, and yeah. I saw Vusi put on his green jacket. Lip Lip looks the same as when I was here going through the minor leagues. Uh, <laughs> still looks the same, and uh, I mean, what what awesome awesome human beings they are. You know, um, great. Obviously, Lip had a huge impact on my career. Uh, my development as a baseball player, you know, helping me reach the big leagues, helping me reach my goals, my dreams, and 
Um, you know, I'm forever grateful for everybody in this organization. What's it like now as truly a veteran and, I mean, you got the street cred, a street cred, versus like when you first came up? I mean, it's got to be a world of difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference. I mean, um, I was scared to death when I first got called up. I ain't going to lie, you know. Jason Kendall, Mark Kotze, Mark Ellis, Bobby Crosby, Dan Heron started the All-Star game, for crying out loud, when I – uh, when Kendall got traded, I had to catch him. Um, it was it was a it was a very neat experience for me, you know. And I think, um, you know, learning the ropes, learning uh, how to be a big leaguer from all these guys that had all these tons of experience, was a huge help for myself. And I, I try to do that for these young guys that get called up. You know, I try to to teach them, you know, what I learned when I first got called up. Obviously, uh, as you know, it's a little bit different, you know, nowadays from when it was, you know, back then. But when you think about it, really, it, it really isn't isn't that much difference. You know, you still have to learn, continue to learn how, how to be a big leaguer, how to be a professional on a daily basis. And and I think, um, you know, for me, when I preach to these young kids, that's the hardest part to learn is how to be a pro, how to be a big leaguer every day, not just going out there and um, playing the game. You know, it's, it's the stuff off the field, the preparation, um, the recovery, the, you know, the mentality, everything about that is it also plays a huge role in it. You know, you had such great success, and speaking of why, Kotze loved them so much. They're Cal State Fullerton guys. <laughs> uh, being a San Jose State guy drives you nuts. I still tell Kotze, I, I walked down when it was Kevin Costner Field. I walked Kotze to get to the bases loaded, and the next guy up at a grand slam <laughs> off of me. So I never actually faced him back in college. But um, you, you'd won so much in college, right? A couple trips to Omaha, you guys won it. And then to think going through your career to then win the World Series. You hang on and you stay with the Nats and you win. I mean, just take us through as a veteran. That was such a veteran-laden club. We would have Trip Hale on while you guys are going through that run. He was still coming on A's Cast Live with us, <sighs> taking us through it, right? Like, you wouldn't think, like, why is the A's guys always getting Chip Hale? But Chip always took care of us. Uh, just what was that run like? It was memorable. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was it was a tough start. Um you know, you look at our team and, uh, you know, with the Howie Kendricks, the Ryan Zimmermans, you know, Strauss, Max, uh, Anthony, myself, Young. Doolittle was there. Doolittle yeah. was there. Hudson, I mean, you had a bunch of veteran guys out there, and we, we always uh, joked around and called ourselves the old guys, you know, the Viejos out there. But um, I think that's what helped us, you know. When you start 19 and 31 in a division like the NL East, uh, to be able to come out of that, was was wasn't easy and you know we've had a lot we had a lot of meetings we had a lot of things but i think to truly win when you start off that bad you really have to enjoy being around each other and i felt like we truly loved one another we loved being at the park together we loved competing together and i think that's what helped us the most and and to be able to do what we did and and all we said was if we get a shot wild card it didn't matter if we just got in we knew we were going to make some noise and uh, with our pitching staff and our, our, you know, veteran guys on the team. So uh, when we got in and, you know, obviously that, that game against Milwaukee in the wild card game with that Soto got that hit and the ball bounced away from Grisham, um, you knew something special was going to happen. So all of a sudden, Jan Gomes gets traded over here, right? And we're doing the interview with him. And we asked him, like, how weird is it seeing Max Scherzer in a Dodger uniform and I'll throw it even now at the trading deadline, seeing Juan Soto in a Padre, in the Padre Brown. I mean, for it had to be tough to see it, that team win it all, 
and what that meant, Baby Shark, and all the stuff you guys had rolling, and to now just see it, you know, not even it's a shell of itself. Yeah, it, it's definitely weird. Uh, but at the same time, I think when you're around enough, you understand it's a business. Um, you understand that, you know, organizations have a job to do to make their team better, not just in the future. I mean, not in just the present, but in the future, in the long run. And I think uh, the best direction, you know, for the organization was was to sell pieces and, and to rebuild their farm system and, and stuff like that. And um, obviously Riz had built that, that team, you know, from being a 100-loss team and then to winning the World Series. So he obviously has an idea of what he wants to do and what it looks like to, to rebuild. So... Um, you know, it, it is weird watching Scherz and Trey, you know, they're in a Dodger uniform, you know, now Soto in a Padres uniform is, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, I play with Rendon and I'm, I look at him in an Anaheim uniform and I think it's weird, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and, and something I think you guys should be really proud of. I don't know. We, we talk about your guys' team a lot now, and I think you guys should be really proud is that if a team is struggling. And now the Braves are in that also because in August at one point last year, the Braves are two games under 500. But now if a team's struggling, we now look and say, hey, wait a minute, look what the Nationals did. you got to be proud. I mean, what you guys did was really special. Everyone counted you out, and you showed that, you know what, you can come back, don't quit, stay together, don't, you know, throw each other on the bus in the media. And if you do it the right way, you can win it all. And you're absolutely right. Um you know, it, it definitely is. It's pretty humbling that everybody said, hey, look at the Nats in 19. You know, they came back and won when they started off so poorly in a tough division. Um, but you, you you just nailed it right there. You have to love being at the park together. You have to love competing together. You have to have that chemistry in the clubhouse to be able to turn it around because it's easy, like you said, to, to throw guys under the bus, to point your fingers, to blame people here and there. But um, – you know, the hardest thing is to take accountability and, and to just work through it together. And and you really have to, like I said, I mean, we talk to each other. We have group chats still from the guys on the same team. We went uh, this spring training. We had uh, dinner with Trey and Howie and Huddy and Jan and Ali and Tony. We went out to dinner together, and uh, we really enjoy being around each other. You know, Ken Korak said it last. Oh, first of all, uh, World Series ring, how much do you wear it? Uh I, I, I wear it quite a bit, uh, especially with the Dodgers fans being down there. You know, I wear it quite a bit around there. <laughs> I like it. Well, Ken Korak said it last night on the broadcast, and let's in on this because I know you got a, you have BP going on. 18 years ago you were drafted by the Oakland Athletics. <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, it's honestly, it's gone by fast but not gone by fast. You know, it's it's been a whirlwind. Um, been on a few teams, and, um, you know, i got three kids now, and, uh, 18 years. I mean, 2004 is. It's. It seems like far away, but it really not. You know, and when I come back here, it bring back memories. You know, and um, you know, I was a kid. I was a kid here, and you know, I had a lot of tough times, but I also had a lot of great times. And um, you know, I think it it made me better. And and like I said, you know, I will always love Oakland. I I always love coming back to the Coliseum and playing in front of these fans. And and it, it's 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 awesome. You know, an interview that I will never forget when I think of all the different interviews I've done, the interview you and I did at the Tokyo Dome oh, yeah. and how much it meant for you to play in Japan. And then after we did the interview, the reception you got in Japan. And I remember just going, wow. And I was sitting up in the press box and just knowing what that meant to you, 
That was really special. I'll never forget that. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, that was the first time I've ever met my relatives in Japan. That was the first time I've ever seen them and met them in person. And, um, I mean, baseball, you know, does crazy things like that. You know, it, it, it opens up doors to things that you never think you'll ever do. And, shoot, I met my relatives from Japan for the first time and uh, got to play in front of them. It was pretty cool. Well, you're a great A, and I know – I, last time I talked to you, you said you wouldn't play that much longer. <laughs> I don't know. We may be here five years oh, from now, no. and here you're still. You're, who knows? Uh, I don't know. It's it's gonna be tough, but uh, yeah, I guess you never know. You're always great to All us. Right. Congratulations on an unbelievable career, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again All soon. Right. Yes, thank you. As Shooty Babbitt showing up early, that's what scouts do. Scouts don't get there at first pitch. Scouts get there before because they got to talk to people. I want you to listen to this, Shooty. This is David Force, our general manager, the guy that you work for. Yesterday on the show, I asked him, who are the guys we need to look at the rest of the way in the minor leagues who can help us and look at spring training next year and for the big club next year? Here is the general manager on A's Cast Live. There's a couple guys in Vegas, I think, who are, you know, who are really close. I mean, certainly the two guys we, we got in the Yankees trade, J.P. Sears, who's pitching the big leagues, and Ken Waldachuk, I think uh, both guys are, are basically knocking on the door and just waiting for an open spot. Uh, Cal Stevenson, who's gone a little bit under the radar, we got for Christian Bethencourt, has been on fire in Vegas, and I think we'll probably get an opportunity soon to see what he can do up here. So there's a couple guys there. You know, in addition to the guys we've already seen who who may have an impact. Um, after that, the group is in Midland that is pretty exciting. I mean, Zach Geloff, Tyler Soderstrom, and Jordan Diaz are lighting up the box score on a regular basis. And I think once you're in double A, it's really easy for us to picture you in the big leagues. It's just, it's just a step away. Um, so those guys are exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing them this week. And then there's a group of pitchers there as well um, with Hogan Harris, who's finally healthy, pitching well. Luis Medina came over in the Yankee trade. JT Ginn is back healthy and pitching. Jeff Criswell's doing a nice job. So there's a group of arms there as well that are making progress and who, you know, to your point, will probably come into spring training next year looking to show the big league staff what they can do. Shooty, one of the reasons why I brought this up is last night I was reading an article about the farm systems and raking them. Kylie McDaniel does a very good job on ESPN.com. We started in preseason, ranked 28th. This is your department. All the way up now to 17th, and I think once we see some of the guys from the Yankee trade and we see how Soderstrom ends up, we, we could see the A's top 15, maybe top 12, which is a huge jump from where the A's were at the start of the season in the preseason, rate 28th. First of all, I would just like to congratulate, congratulate my brethren, um, the other scouts, player development, scouting, for doing a fantastic job. And... It was quite a, quite a grind, you know, leaving spring training. We established a lot of relationships with a lot of clubs because they knew that we would have a lot of moving parts. There would be a lot of interest in some players that we had that weren't here at the right time. And that's what it's all about. Timing is everything. And I commend the Oakland A's for staying the course. You know, there's a lot of bitter fans, a lot of people wondering what direction we're going in. But one thing as a scout and working outside of the organization prior to coming to the A's full time is that I always sit back and watch how they did things. And they always have a process. You know, they're not going to overkick their coverage. They're not going to go out and overspend just for the sake of it. There's a plan. Uh, 
there's only one team that really mattered last year, and that was the Atlanta Braves because they won the World Series. And when you do that, everybody else came in second place, and you need to get better. We understood where we stand. We know where we're going. Uh, we knew where our farm system was. We knew we had pieces that could only enlighten and enheighten the things that we have in our organization. And for you to read off the numbers and see where we went from 28 to 17, that's just a body of work from a lot of people making wise decisions and doing their homework and getting it done. So I'm extremely excited about the youth that's coming. If you see the youth that's on the field right now, uh, this is their opportunity. You know, I'm a product of taking advantage of an opportunity that's presented in front of you when you're playing for a team that's on their way up but they're trending and trying to find ways to get there so you may hear me berating the fact that so many times that these young men need to take advantage and understand where they are right now because there are a lot of minor league players that never got an opportunity to step on a major league field that only needed one opportunity to get a chance to manufacture a, a lifetime career and so um, I'm a guy of urgency you know that Tony so I'm loving where we are right now but I'd like to just expound this message to the A's fans be patient you know, grab a hold of some of these young kids, embrace them, you know, pull for them to mature as major league players, and trust that the brain trust up top is going to make the best moves for this organization because when you're in a small market, if you will, when we start talking about economics and you can only spend money in certain ways, you have to be smart in the way that you make it because you go out and make one bad deal, you know, that could set your franchise back three or four years, and you want to just commend the people that are making those decisions. You know, one of the things that I've learned from Dave Stewart, and now that I've worked around him quite a bit, and I love you know just just picking his brain and it has nothing to do with him as the player everybody ah won 20 games four straight years I, I I people forget about what he was as a coach and a pitching coach and then probably more importantly what he was as a GM and an assistant GM he understands the game and one thing that he told me that is so key we, we talk so much about what guys like you will be sent out to look at other teams organizations and when there's trades and stuff and evaluating players but don't forget to evaluate your own players and the value of the own guy the evaluate the guys that you have because too many times teams forget that and they don't really look at their own system so tell me why is it so important not only to go to 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 look at everybody else, but to self-evaluate yourselves and truly know what you have. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate Keith Lipman, who was um, elected and inducted into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame this year after a 50-year career of playing and most of the time being spent in player development because the day-in and day-out responsibilities of the people developing these kids, getting them ready, there's so many things that you see on the field, but there are a whole lot of things that you don't see off the field, what these kids are made of, where they come from, the agents, the families, the girlfriends, everything that they have to deal with, still keeping these guys on the right path. But to answer your question directly, how do you know where you stack up? How do you know where you're going to be able to fill the voids or the gaps or build depth if you don't know what other people have? And a lot of times, if you get ready to start trading players, you need to know what you have in your own system before you make a deal because why just make a deal if this kid is not better than something that we already have? Instead of making a bad move here, let's invest our time somewhere else where we know we can get better. So I think people all the time you know, make comments or are critical of moves that are made. The people that are running the organization and the 
coaches and development people that have their hands on them know them better than anyone. They spend every single day. They know what their breath smell like, what kind of deodorant they wear because they're that much in their life. And there's just so much. So they know everything. So uh, this is a family uh Player development, minor leagues are trying to get players ready for this level. This level that there is no league better than this one right here. So don't come up here and try to be something that you're not. Do what you've done to allow you to get an opportunity to prove what you are. I truly feel that this is a game of skill, instincts, and feel. We see you the skill. You know, now will your instincts allow you to show them and do you have enough feel to use them at the proper time? Because as we saw two left-handers battle yesterday with subpar velo, not eye-blowing stuff, but I saw two guys that understand their craft. I see the instinctual feel that they have in their game and the ability to apply it. I mean, you're talking about a guy that touched 95 if he needed to, but he struck out eight guys and all he threw mostly was a changeup. So what did he do? He just outthought these guys. He didn't overmatch them. You can't overpower this this game I don't care who you are but you can outthink guys I'm looking for guys at this time of the year the smart guys get smarter and the dumb guys get dumber you've got to make adjustments because if not you'll look up and your career will be just as fast as mine so as equally as hard as it is to get here it's triply as hard if that is a word to stay here so uh, I like where we are, Tony. It's bad, it's tough times, it's hard times. But, you know, you've got to get knocked down before you know how to get up. So how many games are you doing the, the color for NBC Sports California? I have this series against the Angels. If you get a couple more games that are two hours and 15 minutes, we're not going to let you go. Well, you're going to be a permanent. You're going to have to quit all your jobs, and you're going to start doing TV full time. Two hours and 14. I'm like, this is like when I was a kid watching baseball. I think it's because the A's have been so hospitable to me throughout my whole career since 1977 that they understand how I roll. Most of the time, I spend my time in the minor leagues. The best thing, the best change that they've made all year is that time clock down in the minor leagues because it's strapping on, get on the bump, get in the box and let's roll so most games are two hours two hours and 15 minutes and uh you're not missing any action all in my opinion and my humble opinion all they're doing is producing more does it make what you see down there this pitch clock make pitchers and defense just flat out better because they're getting into more of a rhythm i do because i think there's too much thinking going on right now during the game the game is won at this time of the day, 2 o'clock, 2.30, the preparation, the ground balls, the fly balls, the sides, the bullpens, the execution, the preparation, because the preparation prepares you for the execution. Guys at this level make a living by doing big things. But if you don't take care of the small things first, the big things never happen. So uh, it, 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 it's truly valuable. Yeah, no doubt about it, right? I, I got to work on my stuff on the range, but when I get to that first tee, I just got to I gotta let it go. Let it rip. You can't – just like playing third base, This that is a position they call it the hot corner for a reason. You don't get an opportunity to think. You can only react. And you react because you've watched so many balls off the bat. You've anticipated. You're anticipating every pitch. Balls in the dirt for a base runner. You're anticipating every pitch is going to be in the dirt because if it does, I'm already thinking that if it happens, it creates momentum right away. But you say, oh, in the dirt, I got to go. It's too late. So with a young crew, you'd like to see these kids play clean, hard-nosed, 
dog savage style baseball, fighting for every single thing that they get. Don't give away at bats. I've watched this club this year lately, and you know some of the young kids are striking out a little bit too much. I think it'd be a good idea to just choke up a little bit, get up on the plate, and say, I don't care if I break my bat in half. You're not going to strike me out because I truly feel if you strike out, you lost to the pitcher. I don't care if oh, it wasn't a bad at bat. You know, he racked up a bunch of pitches. My <laughs> baloney. <laughs> <laughs> now, something that we talked about the other night at dinner, and Grady Fuson addressed this yesterday with Vince Catronio, and it's a philosophy in scouting. And back in the day, it was this guy, he needs X amount of plate appearances. He needs X amount of innings pitch. It's 500 innings pitch. It's 1,500 plate appearances. And then we'll evaluate whether this guy's ready for the big leagues. Well, we've done a deep dive on all the top young players in baseball. None of these guys get to those marks anymore. The best players, the youngest players, these guys that can help you now, no more of this 500 or 1,500. They're coming up. They're coming up to compete. They're coming to take your lunch money now at a young age. Just talk about how you've seen a change and how much you think a guy does need to marinate down in the minor leagues. Oh, man, it's invaluable. I think you learn all your lumps or get all your lumps, and you learn most of your lessons down in the minor leagues because every day if you've got major league aspirations, you're looking at box scores, you're looking at players that you admire, you see what they're doing at that level. The 20-year-old guys, the Ricky Hendersons, the Mike Trouts, the Uptons of the world, I mean, your biggest problem is holding them back, okay? You're not trying to figure out when they're going to get there. They force their way there because you know what they're able to do? Force their will on their opponents. They've been doing that all their life. I don't care if it's by power, by speed, by using your legs to create havoc. Nobody can stop you. But I just think because of the amount of money that's invested, some of these guys have it in their contract that – if I do this and you do that, you go to the major leagues automatically. No, no, no. It used to be on merit. And I know I'm old-fashioned. I'm going to be roadkill pretty soon, but it's okay. It's been a good ride. But I know one thing. When you came to the major leagues, you didn't come up here to watch. You come up here to fill a position because somebody hadn't been playing well or somebody got hurt. You get an opportunity to go and play hitting 210, 195 in the big leagues. Are you kidding me? I hit 256 and got ran out of this piece. So it's different in that way i don't think a lot of decisions are made on merit it's unfortunate but a lot are made by need th but a lot of these really good young guys now 25 and under we're finding a list a bunch of them are ballers well it's timing is everything yeah tony i mean if you've got a, 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 a you're a championship type ball club and you're the yankees or somebody where there's not a whole lot of opportunity in the room these guys are going to marinate down there and play a little longer but nobody has a team where they've got too many hitters. If you can swing that thing, if you can swing that shillelagh, brother, they're going to find a place for you. Look at our very own Jed Lowry. I mean, this dude, right, the reason why he continues to play in this game because he can straight up rake. The man's a professional hitter, and we've got to find a way to keep him in the lineup. So uh, these guys you're talking about, if they're not a pitcher and you're talking about this premium arm, this guy that has premium stuff, you're talking about a position player. And I guarantee you the number one quality that he has, he can swing that thing. For you, when we start talking about the trading deadline, there was always urgency, but eh, if we don't get the right deal, we can wait for the waiver wire process. Now we don't have that. Now there truly is a deadline. This is it. Whether you're going to fix your, 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 your squad or you want to replenish your minor league system, buyer versus the seller, how has it changed 
guys like you in the bushes now that there's not the waiver wire process. It, it hasn't changed in my role. We're constantly digging in the bushes. We're constantly trying to find good deals. I mean, you've got guys that are going to be sent out on waivers. Guys are going to be released. There's going to be a lot of movement going on. A lot of clubs have made all the moves that they can make at this time because of the personnel that they have given up or the personnel that they've acquired and they can't get rid of anybody. Uh, I, it's been a few years working on other teams, and I sit up and shook my head a few times about some of the moves that have been made here. But I've learned to keep my mouth shut and watch because every year, no matter what, with the exception this year, and even though we're having a tough time, these kids are still going out competing. Staying competitive is so hard to do. We watched the Cubs hadn't won a World Series in 100 years. Well, they were the talk of a town a few years ago because they won the World Series. Look at them now. You know, they're down there with us trying to fight for not having one of the worst records in baseball. So timing is everything. Calculations are everything. Uh, we don't take a uh, – I don't take a breath until September 24th, and that's the last minor league game being played. So I spent a lot of time in double-A baseball. You heard David Forrest telling you these guys that are performing at the double-A level are telling you right there that their skill set plays above. It's all about the mentality and how much they're willing to put into their craft to give them opportunity to play at the next level. So when we talk about a guy moving from double-A – to the big leagues, not going to triple-A because, as David Forrest said, hey, listen, once you get to double-A, there is a possibility to skip triple-A and go to the big leagues. What do you need to see from a player at double-A to be able to say, if if you were asked the question, you know, is this guy ready, you got to sign off on that player? I'll give you a prime example, a kid that I really love that I watched this year that the Texas Rangers brought up to the big leagues, Exubrio Duran. I watch him in Frisco, Texas, and he's a smaller version of Elvis Andrus. And it's just the way that he commands the game, the at-bats, the quality of the bats, the way that he controlled the zone, the way that he played within his game, no matter what pitcher's on the mound, who they're playing against, his game plays. Typically, guys in AAA are guys that are not good enough. There used to be a label for guys in AAA, 4A players. Yeah. Not good enough to be in the big leagues, but really good enough to have in AAA. But typically, there is some type of ward on this guy that won't allow him to be a major league player. So you've got a league full of guys like that, double-A guys that have the skill set and have shown you that they are able to apply their skills no matter who's playing. You see that right away because it's something. It's that maturation that you see in that player. So they let you know, and you don't want to waste his time in AAA because you're down there with veterans trying to get back to the big leagues, doing everything they can to trick you. Uh, it's just a whole lot of stuff going on in AAA. A lot of guys frustrated that they're down there. So uh, you love it when you see a kid go from AA to the big leagues because you know he's special. And there's that mental side as you're talking about AAA of the frustration where that frustration can get the best of a player and he doesn't perform as well or he doesn't perform up to his capabilities. As a scout, do you see it? And maybe, I don't know how you do it, how do you coach that the mentality to get more of a glass half full versus glass half empty. Well, I think because most of those guys, for the most part, are older guys. They've been there for a while. They're kind of set in their own ways. You're definitely not going to change their stuff or the way that they go about playing the game. The younger kids, different story. Uh, sometimes you expect them to struggle in AAA because it's just like 
uh, big leaguers uh, with experience down there. The stuff may not be that good, but mentally they can overwork you because they can outsmart you. So it's an individual. Uh, I don't think you can put the emphasis on the league itself because there's a reason that they have AAA. Some guys are just not ready. Some guys just need a little more work. But there's so many um, intangibles and things that go along with that uh, that makes the decision. But um, when David Starr is talking about guys like that performing in AA, you take note, you make sure you keep your eyes on them because there's more coming of them. When you start talking about the guys like Denzel Clark and Soderstrom and names like that, those are the kids that open up your eyes. So, man, the future is truly bright right now, and all you can do is sit here and enjoy what's happening and watch it all unfold. Let's end on this. You love your job. You love this franchise. Tell us why you love it so much. Man, how could I not? You know, as a kid um, growing up, all I ever wanted to do was be a, a baseball player. My mom taught me how to play the game, play catch in front of the house when my dad was working. Uh, I found out that I was athletically gifted to a certain degree towards baseball. It's something I always loved doing. Um, I had a scholarship to go to UCLA when I was drafted after watching Ricky and my friend Fred Atkins get drafted and go away and come back with their gear and their numbers on their neck and Man, all I ever wanted to be was a professional. Um, the Oakland A's drafted me in a, on the last day in the 25th round, and it was a gamble that I had to take. I could give up a full-ride scholarship to UCLA that was going to guarantee me a decent living in life, or I could chase my dream. I, I chose to chase my dream, Chowney, and the Oakland A's gave me that opportunity, not only on the field but here in my community. This, I, I don't want this building to go. I'd rather see them remodel it, do something, build another one right here because this <laughs> is just like uh, – tearing down a home that I grew up in, man. So my home in Berkeley that I grew up in is still over there, man. So there's so many memories. But they've allowed me to be – I think the, the, the main reason is because they've allowed me to be Shooty Babbitt. And when people accept you for who you are and what you bring and don't expect you to change, just tell you to be yourself. How could you not be happy? You know, th this organization embraced me. You're not going to see my numbers up there in center field. You're not going to see a whole bunch of stats by my name. But the one thing that I hope that my teammates remember me for is a guy that came out there and gave you every single thing that he had every day on the field. And if there was something that broke out, I can recall a fight that we had with the Texas Rangers once. And Cliff Johnson charged him out after Danny Darwin. And he grounded out and he ran to the mound. And me like an idiot, I'm, you know, I'm with my team. I run out on the mound. I jump into the I'm, and all of a sudden, somebody got me, and I can't move. I can't, like, what's happening? And somebody said, man, you get bail. I got bad. But I said, yeah, get your ass off me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm Oakland A's to the bone, Townie, and I am truly thankful and grateful for this opportunity uh, to start my career here. And the people that brought me here said, man, you can work here until you get ready to retire as long as you don't mess it up, man. So I'm doing my honest God truth not to do that, man. And uh, as the great George Devine told me years and years ago, I said, George, how do I know they like me? He says, shooty, if they ask you to come back. So I know you love me, homie, because you keep me on the show, and I appreciate it so divinely, my man. Ain't nobody better and ain't no bigger league than this one behind us. The great Shooty Babbitt will be on tonight. NBC Sports California doing the broadcast with Glenn Kuyper. You are the man, my friend. Thank you, Tony. Always a pleasure, bro. Bobby, how are you? It's Chris Towns, and welcome to A's Cast Live. How are you? Good, Tony. How you doing? We're doing great. And, and you know what it's like to you make your debut. How about, I don't know if you got to see Cal Stevenson's debut, but he's from Fremont, just south of Oakland. His whole family was there. They had a whole sign that spelled out his name. And in his second at-bat, he gets that base hit. 
and then no longer are you chasing that. Just if you remember back what that moment was like for you. Yeah, it was incredible. I actually had to wait a whole offseason to get my first hit. Uh, when I got called up in September, I went over for 12. Oh. So, uh, you know, I, I had to wait the whole offseason. The second game of the year, I got my first hit. So, yeah, it was a little bit tougher for me having to wait so long. But, uh, you know, it's always fun to kind of see guys get it out of the way and, and go out and play. Yeah, and just talk about at this time with this organization where we've been talking about it, whether it's this show or I've been talking about it on the postgame show, Oakland is the land of opportunity. If you're a young player, you've been drafted by the A's, or you come over in one of these trades, whether it's for Chapman, Olsen, Montas, whatever the trade, you know, we just saw it with Cal. We just saw it with J.P. Sears taking them out. We've seen it with Zach Logue earlier. Just talk about how coming here, whether they're going to play for you or Fran Reardon at AAA, man, you got a chance to make the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, these guys know it. They know they have an opportunity. Um, Jonah Bride started with me here and, and, you know, he's been up there for, you know, a couple months now, you know, the guys that are in this clubhouse, they know that it's a good spot to be. If they perform um, next thing you know, they could be up with Fran and AAA and, and they do well there in the rough. So it's uh, for a young player or a guy who maybe has even been around a little bit. Uh, they know they can get an opportunity in, in the big leagues and it's a good spot for them to be and, and showcase what they got. So the players are aware of it. We're aware of it. Uh, and, you know, they have to be happy with the A's right now. And I got to think about your ball club. A lot of people are talking about players down there, and they're the names that we keep looking at and we know are, are part of the future. Just how is, how is everything going in Midland? It's awesome. Uh, we're having a great second half and uh, first place by a couple games, so we're doing well. I mean, we have a, a, a slew of talent here. I mean, every night I have five guys on the bench that should be starting somewhere. Uh, so that's making my job a little bit difficult, but it's a, a good problem to have. But when you have Geloff and Diaz and, and Soderstrom in the lineup every night, uh, you know, it's it's pretty fun to watch. And, and you get, you know, talent with Ginn and Criswell and Hogan Harris, uh, Cushing, when they're on the mound, you know, we're in a good place. So we're playing well, uh, hoping to keep it going and, and, you know, get the get a few more wins and win the division. You know, so we went – what was that? Was that last year or was it two years ago we saw Geloff, Cody? It was last year. It was last year we went to a San Jose Giants game because it's just down the street from our house and and to see Geloff. And you looked at him, you went, yep, he looks the part. Big yeah. big dude, power, uh, agility. I mean, kind of had like – and I uh, this is I know this is not fair, but kind of has that, that Mike Schmidt build with the athleticism and the size and the arm – just talk about, you know, this third baseman out of Virginia, and, and what do you think – How how do you view him as a big leaguer? Uh, I mean, he can play third. He can play second. Uh, his bat, he can hit it to all fields and all fields with power. Uh, he's a complete hitter. He's not just a pull guy with power. Um, he went out the other night to right center here in Tulsa. Uh, he, he takes good at bats. He takes what they give him. Uh, uh, but most importantly for me is his mental game. The guy thinks he's a big leaguer now. He prepares himself like a big leaguer. He's a clubhouse leader, and he's one of the younger guys in the clubhouse. But guys kind of gravitate towards him, want to be around him, uh, hang out with him. So he's he's a guy that guys kind of turn to, and at a young age, for him to do that now, it's, it's pretty impressive. That's interesting. He prepares like a big leaguer, like he knows how to do it. I mean, yeah. obviously, you're a big leaguer. Were you like that? I mean, how, how do you get to be like that? I don't know. I don't know if it's innate or the upbringing. I'm not sure how he got to that point. From when I first met him, 
he kind of had that swagger about him, had a, you know, had a focus and a vision and he's here. He knows he's here to play, but at the same time, he has bigger goals. He's not just happy doing well here. He wants to go up there and lead up there. Um, I know as soon as he gets to the big leagues, he's not going to be a guy who kind of just falls in line. He'll be a guy who wants to lead and be a part of the, the core group there for a long time. So I don't know how he developed that, but the fact that it's there is a beautiful thing. And he's going to be a leader in my clubhouse for a long time, for sure. Yeah, and I think about Soderstrom. I mean, this kid has been bred to be a ball player. I mean, I got I got to play against his dad in college. His dad was such a star at Fresno State and then went on to play for the Giants, and they've had that baseball clinic there in, in, in Central California. This guy's grown up around such tremendous talent and players. He's been playing against kids above his age and working out with them. He's like a prodigy. I mean, do you view him – as the same and my god he's so young too yeah he has a different personality than zach zach's a little bit more outspoken uh you know tyler's only been here for a week now a uh, week and a half he kind of goes about his business in a in a more quiet way but um from the first time i saw him at the alternate site when he first got you know drafted to now he's already grown up mentally his swing is is you know it's perfect we were talking about on the bench i don't i don't know if you would want to um, if you were con to construct a swing, you'd probably look at his. I mean, there's really no no flaws in it. Um, and he played some first. He, he's catching for us. He, he looks great. So, you know, he's a different type of guy than Zach as far as mentality, but they both have that goal and that vision, and this is just kind of a stop for them. They both they know they're going to be in the big leagues. So uh, having both those guys in the lineup is, is pretty special. We just had David Forst on the program doing the general manager show, and I said, all right. Give us here down the stretch, because we're all following it. We're all looking at your guys' box scores. And I said, give me guys to look at. Give me guys to, you know, who can help that we could see, okay, I'm going to watch this guy, but then at spring training next year he could be in Oakland. So he talked Geloff, of course, Sodi, of course, but he mentioned who you mentioned, Jordan Diaz. He said he's one of the guys that could make the jump sooner, sooner or later. Give us a scouting report there. Scout report is he rakes. I mean, I mean, I mean, from the from day one. I mean, maybe he had a you know the first two weeks he struggled a little bit. Ever since then, he gets up there and he hits. Um, he's not the most patient guy. He's going to have to you know work on that a little bit um, as far as you know getting some walks. But he sees the ball and he crushes it. He has uh, you know a great ability to put the barrel on the ball. And um, even if he's fooled, he keeps his hands back. Um, he's a guy like Geloff who can hit it to all fields. He's not just a pull guy. Uh, he has power to all fields, um, knows his swing. Um, he does know the strike zone, but he's a guy who's up there and he wants to hit. He sees a ball that's in the middle of the zone, and he has a good ability to put the bat on it. He, he does it. So, uh, you know, we've been playing him at first a little bit. I think that's where he's going to end up. Um, he just still has a little bit of work to do there, but uh, his work ethic has been, has been great this year. So, uh, you know, but the bat's going to play. The bat's really good. You know, last time we talked to Chriswell was when he was drafted. He was in the backyard at the draft party with his coach from the University of Michigan. And, you know, I was so excited to be drafted. And decent-sized kid, throws hard. And we've kind of been tracking with him because, you know, we had him on video. It's great to have yeah. him on the show, right? So how is the big right-hander doing? He's doing great. Uh, he's got some confidence, that's for sure. That's what I like about him the most. He's not scared of anybody. Any team, anybody he faces, uh, he's like another guy on this team. Well, we got a lot of them, I guess, that that know they're going to be big leaders. Um, 
you know, we go over scouting reports before the game and, and there isn't anybody that he goes, I don't want to shy away from this guy or be careful. He goes after guys. Um, his stuff has been really good. And every time he goes out, you know, he's going to compete. So he's another guy that, you know, his, his fans should be looking for that. He's going to keep getting better. You know, I think, uh, you know, we just put Keith Lippman in the A's hall of fame and, yeah. you know, 52 years of being a guy, not about himself, about everybody else, about helping players, coaches, managers, front office people. He's been a mentor. He's been everything to everybody. But it was always about not him. It was about everybody else. And I think about the opportunity you have, which is so unique, because, I mean, like we look at you and we go, rookie of the year, big league shortstop, I mean, your career, and now you're managing how how just just how grateful are you for this opportunity be, to be able to take everything that you learn and everything that you've done, and now your job is to help these guys reach their dreams. You've you've gotten your dreams. Now you're there to help them reach theirs. Great point. And going back to Lip, Lip is the best. I mean, a lot of the stuff I do now is is stuff I learned from Lip, um, as far as teaching and, and leading by by example and being a leader. But um. Yeah, I, I feel so fortunate. Uh, like I said, like like you said, I, I had my time to play. I had my time to shine, and now it's these guys. And, uh, you know, to be able to watch them through their career and be able to talk to them and go, hey, I dealt with what you're dealing with. Um, I've been in your shoes, and now this is, you know, this is going to be your path a little bit. And to see them kind of take that advice and, and continue on and get better, for me, it's 100 times better than playing. I love playing ball, um, but, but coaching and, and being able to make other guys better, uh, I'm in a I'm in a good place. I'm I'm happy. I'm a happy man. Well, I and and they always talk about catchers make the best managers. It's catchers this, catchers that. What about shortstops? Shortstops, you, you're right in this too. I mean, as much as the catchers calling pitches, as a shortstop, you, you're aligning the defense. You're seeing every pitch. You, I mean, you're right in that pitcher catcher relationship almost because you're looking right over the pitcher's shoulder. Why do we not have more shortstops as managers? I don't know. I mean, I grew up in a baseball family. My dad played. I was always a student of the game. I always want to know where everybody else should be. I knew where I was supposed to be, but I want to know this guy should be here. Okay, what pitch is he throwing here? Why is he throwing? Okay, when are we going to pick off this guy? Is this guy going to steal here? I, I've always been a student of the game. Love the little little nuances. Um, so, you know, I think uh, some guys go out there and they play baseball and they're they're just playing. They're good at it and, and they know where they should be. And I think other guys – really study the game and study what happens in the game in different situations. And when do you put the infield here and, and what's the spot to walk a guy here? And that's the part of the game I've always loved. Um, playing was great. Um, but the, the mental side is something I've, I've always dove into and, and uh, have a lot of fun with. So for me, it's, it's a good fit. You know, one thing that I, I, I'm not so sure about this, I want to get the answer from you, but something that is, is a skill that can't be easy, but it's to get the trust of your players for them to understand what you're trying to do is what's best for them. Even if they don't like it, you're trying to help them get to the big leagues. And there may be conversations they don't like. There's maybe positions they don't like. There may be places in the batting order they don't like. But what is that like, those conversations, when, when you're trying to gain the trust of your players to be like, Dude, I'm trying to help you as much as I possibly can because not everybody gets that. 
Yeah, and like like I t- you know talked about before, it goes back to Lip and and how much he cared about guys. Um, I think the players generally know that I I truly care about them. Um, you know, I hope if you asked any of the guys, they would say that that I truly care about their career and where it's going. So for me, it hasn't been, you know, uh, if a player knows I'm going up and talking to him, he knows I'm going to try to help him. He knows I want what's best for him. And for me, that's 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 a big thing. So I can have any conversation I want with the guy, whether it's me getting on him or me being his buddy or or whatever it is, he knows that I have his best interest at heart. Uh, and if they truly feel that, then they'll accept whatever I have to give them. And I think that's where this team's at and so far how I've, I've tried to manage. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at playing baseball the A's way. And I know years ago there was the Oriole way and the Dodger way. I just know all these years the A's way is, hey, it's 27 outs. You're playing hard. Doesn't matter what the record is. Doesn't matter what the score is. Bob Melvin preached that. We heard Mark Kotze really preaching it down at Ho-Ho Cam. You came up in this. Just talk about what your view is of what the A's way is to play baseball. For me, it's being a grinder. It's it's every at bat. It's every pitch. If, if you strike out and there's a ball in dirt, I expect you to run it out. If you hit a pop-up, I expect you to run it out. Um, I expect you to know the situations. I expect you to be a good teammate. Um, I expect you to, to pick up each other on and off the field care about each other, love each other. Um, but playing the game, I expect you to play hard. Um, you, you have control over that. You don't have control over if you go for four or for five, whatever that is. But you have control over your hustle. You have control over your effort. You have control over if you're showing up another team, another player. I expect these guys to play what, what I believe is the right way. And that's a little bit, I guess, more old school than how baseball is now at times. Um, but I expect our guys to to bust their butts and and do the things that they have control over because baseball is hard, but you can control the the small things and being prepared and and working hard. Yeah, people forget this game is really hard. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's not easy. Joey yeah. Votto last night. Feel I don't know if you got to see that, but Joey Votto, Joey Votto was mic'd up at first base, and it's pretty interesting. You know, this guy is a potential Hall of Famer, and he's talking to John Smoltz while he's playing first base, talking to John Smoltz, who is a Hall of Famer, and they were just talking about velocity difference and, and you know, because of when Votto came up to what it is now, and he's like, if you can't time a fastball and can't lay off a breaking ball, you're done. That's just how difference from 95 to now you got guys hitting 102 to 100, consistently 98, 99. And it's like, listen to Votto, and he's just talking about, yeah, a lot of people just don't realize just how hard it is to play the game. It's extremely difficult. Uh, you know, I see guys now watch games and see guys with the movement they have on on 99, 100, and the ball's two semen. Uh, it's, it's insane. Uh, you know, they definitely didn't have that even – you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was playing. So, uh, you know, the rise in talent is definitely getting there. And and even in double A here, we're facing guys on a nightly basis that are throwing 97, 98. We're, we're playing Tulsa right now, and every one of their starters is throwing 95, 96 plus, and then they have guys throwing 100. And it's – so they're, you know, at this level, they're, they're learning how to deal with that and learning how to deal with failure. A lot of these guys still haven't – you know, you can get through – low A, high A, without really having to fail too much. And now you get here and you have to deal with failure. And it's it's difficult. But uh, 
you know, it's it's extremely hard and guys you know, will, will handle it their own way, but they're going to have to handle it at some point and, and make the adjustment. Yeah, when you're in double A, you can see the big leagues because you can move from double yeah. A to the big leagues. I mean, this is legit. You get to double A, triple A, but double A, great young talent and the big leagues, you can move up and who knows, we'll see what happens the rest of the way here. Just for you as a manager, now that you've been doing it, what have you learned? And I think also that coaching for everybody at the alternate site uh, and I know Fran uh, Fran Reardon ran that, but it was like that was intense coaching, getting everybody sharpening your skills once again as a coach. But what do you think you have learned and, and how you have grown as a manager? Uh, deal, dealing with people better, dealing with players better. Um, little nuances of the game I've learned from Fran. I've learned from Ed Sprague. I've learned from Grady Fuson, uh, Keith Littman. I pick all their brains, you know, coming in as a player, uh, you know, starting out coaching, you're, you know, you're a little raw, you played, but there's, there's a lot of different things that go on. So I, I learn on a daily basis from my own staff, um, situations and, uh, personalities, uh, you know, every day we come in, uh, it seems that a new guy has a new issue, whether it be good or bad. So it's, it's learning how to handle different situations and, uh, and different, uh, you know, times in the game that, that, uh, you always kind of run across something that's new. So, I still have more to learn, but uh, I'm always willing, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, that's why when you when you hear a guy as a manager, you're managing a team, and that means you're managing human beings. Yeah. And human beings, things happen on the field in between the lines, and they're human beings, and stuff's happening to them outside the lines, away from the field. You get, you have to manage the people. That's what, you know, whenever I've heard all this, well, it's all about the analytics. And I said, no, 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 somebody's got to sit you know, at the front of the plane, the front of the bus, someone's got to lead the charge and someone has to manage the people because there's a lot going on because you're not dealing with robots, you're dealing with human beings. To me, that's the biggest thing. I can go out and manage a game and win, lose, or guys play great or don't play well, and so be it, but that's the biggest thing. And that's where developing these relationships with, with the guys in here. And like I said, knowing that, you know, that, I, you know, they can have my trust and I trust in them and I'm an open book and they're an open book of me. Um, and we have that that open relationship where we can tell each other anything, whether it be good or bad, dealing with something off the field. And, and most of the time, I mean, there isn't really a guy in the clubhouse that hasn't come up to me with something that's going on off the field. Uh, people get to see these guys play and enjoy watching them play, but it's real life too. Um, they're away from their family, they're away from their friends. Uh, real life situations happen and, and how to deal with that can be difficult at times, um, but they teach me as much as I teach him. And I'm loving it. And we, we do have a good time, but we celebrate the good times, but we're also there for guys that struggle or, 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 or having a hard time at times. Well, I'll tell you what, Ace fans love you, and it's great having you on the program. It's great seeing you. Good luck the rest of the season. Let's chat again soon because obviously down there you've got some very important guys. you got the future of the Oakland A's sitting on that ball club. I'm happy to have the future. It's good. We have a good team, and, and they play the game right. So we're going to try to do what we can. I appreciate you guys having me on. Take care, and you be well. Well, too. You, too. Bobby Crosby, Rookie of the Year, former shortstop for the Oakland Athletics. He's fantastic. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 